Hello, brethren. Once again, it is great to be back with you as we enter in a new phase of our true pastoring series in the book of Titus. You know, I want to go through these books as they were written. The Apostle Paul wrote 1 Timothy, then he wrote Titus, and then he ended again with that great last epistle of his, 2 Timothy, which we will be getting into shortly. But today I just wanted to uh, come afresh this morning and, and talk about the things that that a true shepherd, a pastor, should be doing in his life. And the Word spells that out so plainly. Remember, brethren, that Jesus said that even a child could acknowledge and understand the gospel. But he also said, if we don't have faith as a little child, we never shall enter in. So we as pastors or communicators of the Word of God, shepherds of God's flock that he's put before us, we, we make it attainable. We make it understandable. We make it uh, able to be grasped because, again, it is not our ability, but it's the risen Lord Jesus Christ living in us. And it's the pure teaching of the Word of God. It's the pure doctrine set forth plainly, truthfully, boldly, confidently, and mixed with a life of an example that we as pastors uh, are to undertake. That's a powerful combination, brethren. And again, that power comes from the risen Lord living within us. Remember, if we look at uh, what Paul was saying in Ephesians, that in power God raised him up and seated him at his right hand. And it also says in uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, that he raised us up in power to sit with Christ in the heavenlies. What power we have, brethren, and what responsibility and great uh, accountability we as pastors are to have, and we will have. But yet, as we read last time we were there, I believe that the Apostle Peter says that there's a crown waiting for the faithful when they are with Christ, that God will himself give to those faithful shepherds that have followed him in sincerity and in truth, that have put forth the Lord Jesus Christ, not only word and pure doctrine, but in life as well. And Titus, so much, the epistle of Titus, so much sets that forth. We're going to be looking today at the fact that the truth, which is not only the word of God is the truth, Jesus said, Father, thy word is truth, but he also said in John 14 that he is the truth. So we put forth the truth, and that accords with godliness. That truth does something. It changes our life. It conforms us to the image of Christ. The promises and the of God conform us, make us partakers of that divine nature, Peter would say. It is powerful. So when we see today, we can readily see false religions, false prophets, if you will, false voices. Does their truth, first of all, match up with God's word? Their so-called truth, does it match up with God's word? And secondly, if that truth is really proclaimed, is it manifested in the life? That's what we want to see. That's what we want to demonstrate. And we look at this wonderful epistle of Titus, and we see that that is so. So this morning, I just want to come with you and sit with you for a while. Again, I'm so excited, brethren, that you've you've taken time to... Uh, 
to sit down with me and, and go over this wonderful epistle. Let's uh, let's come before the Lord. Father, we just come unto you through the Lord Jesus Christ, indwelling in your wonderful Holy Spirit. I pray that you would open up your word, that you would give us understanding, that we would share these truths and we rejoice in one another, because we have the truth. And Lord Jesus, you're the one that says the truth sets us free. And the truth is what people need. People need forgiveness of sin. They need the truth of God straight from your word. Not man's philosophies or ideas, but you, what you so plainly have set forth. And Father, I pray this morning that as we have fellowship not only with one another, but chiefly fellowship with you, that the sweetness of the truth of Jesus Christ would enrich us and, and energize us to go out and share the word, but it would equip us to walk what is pleasing and in a way that is pleasing to you. And Father, I just thank you in the name for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. Brethren, this morning uh, I come afresh in this these wonderful epistles as we see the world around us and so much false teaching, so many false prophets, if you will, so many false teachers. Um, time would fail me, and we'll we'll get into these as we get into this last epistle, Second Timothy. But I just want to say here that there is so much in the Word of God about what's going on in the world today. Do you remember we've talked about before the the first deception known to man, again, was spiritual deception. And a lot of that spiritual deception today is is proclaiming the Bible, if they, if you will, and yet not the power thereof. And the Bible says to stay away from people such as that, because true godliness, true uh, being truly born again, one that is a relationship to God through the Lord Jesus Christ, will exhibit in his life the risen Lord. And that is an important part because Satan so desires to come in and ruin people's testimony and, and uh, give a bad taste in people's mouths, so to speak, of, of religion. I was reminded the other day I was searching through some, uh, some old things on the Internet about uh, different false teaching and different false churches and whatever. And I, and I saw a scene I'll never forget. It's uh, of these group of people, there was quite a few of them, and, and they were dancing around and, and barking and howling and, and slapping each other, you know, and uh, on the rear end. And, and it was just uh, an amazing thing to behold. And one man runs up the aisle and jumps on the pulpit like a monkey. And, and yet behind it, brethren, there was a big sign that says, Jesus is Lord. Now I pause for a little while because I, you know, that's just one example. But is that true Christianity? Is that a true representative of the Lord Jesus Christ? Uh, Paul wrote in Ephesians, or excuse me, Galatians five. One of the uh, fruits of the Spirit is self-control, love of a sound mind. Paul wrote in First Timothy. We need to see these things for what they are and realize that we have an enemy out there that uh, that will love to make to discredit. The pure gospel, which Paul says in 1 Corinthians that it's not only what we stand on, but it's by what we are saved on. And being saved, brethren, Jesus said in John 5.24 perfectly, we've gone from death into life. We've died to the old man. We've, we've become a new creature in Christ. 
and that entails a changed life, a radically changed life. Sure, it's a progression, but yet Paul also tells us not to uh, raise up pastors, not to raise us, those up in authority too quickly. You know, ones that have just come into the faith, let them season a while. Why? Because the life of the Lord Jesus Christ is being formed in us as we walk, and we are teaching the truth, and we are demonstrating the truth, and brethren, that is power. So this morning, I, with that being said, I just want to read the first chapter of Titus real quickly, and then we'll go back and just talk about it and go on and and hopefully we can uh, we can just have some things we can really look at in the Word and really glean some, some truth from. Paul, a bondservant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, and the acknowledgement or the acknowledging of the truth which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie, promised before time or the world began, but has in due time manifested his word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior. To Titus, true son, in our common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order things that are lacking, and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children not accused of dispensation or insubordination, for an overseer must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, nor given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, Listen to this, brethren, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. For there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped to subvert whole household, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. One of them, a prophet of your own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true, therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. But to the pure all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure, but even their mind and conscience are defiled. Listen to this, brethren. They profess to know God. But in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. Now as we contemplate this first chapter, brethren, I want to just point out some things. First of all, in, in the, Paul starts out in this epistle by saying that we acknowledge the truth. God's elect has been given a faith. Uh by the Lord himself, that this truth, this faith, wraps around the truth of God, and it accords with godliness. 
You know what? We can stand up here and, and there's been a lot of great orators through, down through the centuries. And yet by their own actions, they desecrate what they have said. You know, truth is truth, but when it's matched with solid conviction, you know, I can believe all I want in a good looking chair. But if I sit on the chair and it doesn't hold me up and I go crashing to the ground, what good is it? But when we match up the truth and we have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, faith in the doctrine of Christ, and that's matched with the power of life, that is amazing. And that's exactly what truth does. If someone says, I have, James says, I have faith, I'll show you by my works. True faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his word will always produce a sound, committed life. One who, I want to read you, brethren, real quick, a, uh, a passage by A.W. Tozer, which sums up what we are talking about right here and, and as we go on in these studies. A.W. Tozer writes, A true disciple does not consider Christianity a part-time commitment. He has become a Christian in all parts of his life. He has reached the point where there is no turning back. That's what the truth does, brethren. It acknowledges that every word of God is pure. It acknowledges that the Bible is the word of God. It acknowledges that the Lord Jesus Christ is the supreme creator of the universe, and yet he is Lord and Savior of my life, and that produces godliness. He goes on to say, in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began. You know, John, in his first epistle, said, and this is his promise, he promised us eternal life. That's what God does. You believe in his word, you believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, he was buried for three days. Three days later, he rose from the dead, according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. We believe it. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Amen. And that life produces a hope. We've talked about so many other times, brethren, that hope in the Bible is a confident expectation that what God has said, he was willing and able to perform. That's a biblical hope. So in hope of eternal life, in verse 2, which God who cannot lie promised us. And then he says, in due time, he manifested his word through preaching. This word is taught through preaching. We're convicted of our sin. We've given our life to the Lord Jesus Christ. His word becomes more than our necessary food, Job said. Remember what Jeremiah said? I found thy word, and it was the joy and rejoicing of my heart. It was manifested through preaching, and it was committed to, the apostle says here, it was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior. Remember in 1 Timothy 1.11, he said that this gospel was committed to my trust. It becomes ownership, because it is his life now. He is not his own. We've been bought with a price. We've been brought from death into life. And it has become our own. That commandment God has given him. 
But we said to Titus, a true son in our common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. Now, we all understand that in this passage, well, as all through the Bible, you see God as our Savior. We see that in Isaiah uh, chapter 43 and verse 11, I think. There's only one Savior. And yet, also, Paul repeatedly calls the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. Obviously, Christ is God. God the Father has sent God the Son to be the Savior of the world, John says. You know, Jesus said it himself, brethren, we need to learn from the Master. If we want to know who God is, we look to Jesus Christ. He was always saying, if if you want to know the Father, look at me. And so we understand that when we realize that Jesus Christ is not only our Savior, but he's the one who created us. His word becomes engrafted in us, and it's able to save our souls. He says that as far as going on to to practicality in a Christian assembly, if you will, or, or a biblical assembly, he says, For this reason I lift you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking, and appoint elders in every city I command you. Now, I want to read um, something C.I. Schofield wrote early in the 20th century about this passage. He says, It is not at all a question of the presence of, in the assembly of persons having the qualifications of elders, but that such persons were in the churches of Crete is assumed. The question is altogether one of appointment of such persons. These assemblies were not destitute of elders, but they were lacking in that they were not duly appointed. You know, we we have an opportunity in our, our churches and our congregations or in the in people that God puts before you to to lay out and set up uh, the church the way God is pleased. And eldership or overseers is never a single appointed in the church. There is always a duality, if you will, or more than one elder, an overseer. Yes, maybe only one pastor, but a pastor is an overseer, but so is an elder. You know, we were instructed elsewhere, brethren, find, find those men around you. Find those men that are, that are um, ready to be taught, that can be taught. Pray for them. Pray that God would, would till up the soil of their hearts, so to speak, that they may be able to be taught and, and learned, if you will. Men that are of fierce, or I should say fearless faith that will guard the flock of God, that will guard them from false teaching, that will teach them, that will be an example. An elder, we see so many qualifications, mainly in First Timothy and right here in Titus, that we all know about, you know, a man who is blameless. In other words, uh, a truthful finger cannot be pointed at them for wrongdoing. A uh, husband of one wife or one woman man, one who has set uh, an example by purity and integrity regarding his wife and his family, if he has one. You know, I love what Job says, I've made a covenant with my eyes towards my wife. Um, you know, faithful children, um, and we can go on and on, not greedy and so forth. I urge you today, if you're in a small congregation or you're in a small church, 
or even if you're in a large one, uh, start praying about the men that God would surround you with, the elders, the uh, ones that will take responsibility of overseeing and, and, uh, and leadership in the church. You're called to be a pastor, teacher, praise God. That is a wonderful calling. But God has also called you to surround yourself with men that will not only sharpen iron, will, will encourage you, will pray for you, will, but will also be able to help you shepherd and guard the flock of God. Very, very important. You know, if you look at the word, it puts great emphasis on elders. Great emphasis on those that, that have the responsibility of overseeing of the church. Um, and it's it's a, a great responsibility, and it's a wonderful. Uh, I have been both places, brethren. I have been a pastor of of you know church that had wonderful elders, and I've also struggled to open up my heart a little bit here with people not wanting to step into these roles and and kind of being obstinate about it, and it is not good. It's a struggle. It's it's a foothold for the enemy. And uh, it's something that God um, definitely does not want to see happen. So, again, ask God to point out and to, to bring faithful men into your life that will help you uh, nourish and, and take care of the flock God has set before you. You know, we're told as, as a pastor to hold fast the faithful word, verse 9 of chapter 1. Um, you know, as we've been taught that we may be able by sound doctrine to exhort, convict, and contradict. You know, today there is so much variance in so-called teachers and pastors that want to proclaim the word as they see fit. Remember, brethren, the word does not conform to us. We conform to the word. And I urge you to just stay faithful. Go against the tide. I know it gets rough sometimes. I know we um, sometimes feel like we're we're failing. Sometimes it feels like we're not reaching anybody. Sometimes it feels like uh, I'm not too popular because I don't uh, have extra uh, additives or extracurricular, if you will, activity in, in as I teach the word. But I urge you, stay true to the word, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, precept upon precept, line upon line. God's word is so powerful that he makes promises that even as the snow comes down and the rain from heaven waters the earth, so will his word, brethren. You are called to be faithful in it, to hold fast that faithful word. God will leave the results to him. You prayerfully deliver the word. You make the word your own. You feed upon it yourself, and then you will be fit to feed upon your congregation. There's a great lesson when every time somebody flies in an airline where they're giving the instructions about the, you know, what happens if there's trouble and that one instruction about the oxygen mask coming down. What do they tell you? They, they tell the parents, if you have children, parents, put the oxygen mask on you first. Get it snug and fit and then turn and administer that to your children. Once we are fed and admonished and walk with the Lord Jesus Christ and feed upon his word deeply ourselves, brethren, then we will be fit to turn and feed 
and nourish our congregation. You know, as he goes on to say about in verse 10, about there's many insubordinate. There's a lot of idle talkers. There's a lot of deceivers out there. You read Second uh, John, I believe it's verse 7, you know, about there's many deceivers have gone out into the world. Many people out there want to play f- footloose and fancy free with the word of God. And we also know by Second Corinthians chapter 11, brethren, that Paul says that Satan himself is the one behind sending out false apostles, deceitful workers. They're all over the place. We are to stand the tide. And that's part of what being an elder, a pastor is. He's one that guards the sheep. I'm reminded of that, that, that image in uh, the old shepherds of Israel that would, would at nightfall would guide all the sheep into the sheep pen. And the shepherd himself would sleep between the sheep pen and the door right there of the opening of the sheep pen. So he is the one that's guarding the sheep. He is the one that's the, that's nourishing them and, and protecting them from all harm. And there's many deceivers out there, brethren. There's many people that spout off at the mouth and their words like cotton candy. There's no substance to them. And he goes on to say in verse 11, these mouths must be stopped. Um, you know, there's men out there that are teaching things for, for wrong sake. There's men out there that are trying to get sordid gain. There's men out there that are trying to make money off the word of God, money off hungry souls. You know, people out there, brethren, you, most people that you'll meet desperately want a touch from God. They desperately want the truth. And if we aren't giving it to them, Satan's all too happy and ready to give them false falsity which will lead them straight to hell. Very, very important. Um, Just some practical things before we enter into chapter 2 and 3. You know, he says that uh, there are certain people, prophets, even of their own people that this uh, epistle was written to, these Cretans, that they're liars, they're, they're evil, they're lazy. What do we see today, brethren? We see the Christian church as a whole out in this world, on the media, uh, you name it, that are just ridiculous, that, that leave a bad taste in one's mouth, that don't do anything for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Uh, they might leave people feeling good about themselves, but they leave their souls hungry. They might promise them happiness and everything now, and, and you just wait, you'll go to heaven. What they promise them is a false uh, hope now and hell later. And these are abounding. You know, in Matthew 24, we've talked about this before, but I think it's apropos here because in the last time, the last days, remember the disciples came to Jesus. It's called the Olivet Discourse privately. And they asked him, Lord, tell us, what will, what will the signs be of your coming? What will be the signs of the end of the age? The first thing he said, which most people overlook, is let no man deceive you, for there will be many false prophets. Many will come in my name, he said. Now, think about this. This is an itinerant preacher that never went outside of Israel, never wrote a book, and he had the audacity to say that men will come in my name. He didn't say Buddhas or Confucius or Muhammad's or, or anything else. 
He said, many will come in my name, saying, I am Christ, or I am the anointed one. And we see all kinds of people, all kinds of voices clamoring for our attention today, of people claiming to be the anointed one, claiming to have a message from God, claiming to speak for God. Well, you know, true shepherds, brethren, true teachers, do have a message from God. God has entrusted the truth to them. We are to guard that. And we are to, to realize and rebuke those that bring a shameful testimony on our precious faith. And how do we know what this is, that this is going on? Look at the last verse in this chapter. They profess to know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. They profess to know God, but in works they deny him. I remember when I was young in the faith, I was talking to an individual, and and, uh, and this has happened to me through the years. And it has happened probably more times than you really realize. A lot of people don't don't bring to light with their thinking. But he had worked with this individual for years and years, and this this guy was a just a, a brash, hardened uh, individual. And finally, after the end of a couple of years, he came up to this man and he said, you know, there's something about you that I've been watching over these years. You're different. And I just want to let you know, I appreciate you being the way you are and not going and being like everybody else. And that brother speaks volumes because a life that is lived mixed with the truth that's powerful. Jesus claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life. And he backed it up. Not only as the soldiers that went to get him came back and, and they asked him, Did you bring him? And he said, No man ever spake as this man did. And yet when he spoke, Jesus says, If you do not believe my words, believe on the very works sakes themselves. He claimed to be who he claimed to be. And he was who he claimed to be because of the life that he lived. When we come to realize that Jesus Christ is God in human flesh and that his life is living in us through the Holy Spirit, brethren, that is the most wonderful, dynamic, changing wonderment, if you will, that we could ever, ever hope for. And that is ours freely in Jesus Christ. There are many out there, that, again, that profess to know God. We, are, we cannot judge, brethren, on whether a man is truly born again. That is only God. But we can know them by their fruits, as Jesus said. As we get on in this epistle, we're going to see what this grace is. What it does, we've been given grace in Jesus Christ that changes everything. When we get by the end of this epistle, I believe in my study of the Word of God that as we finish 1 Timothy, when we get through Titus, that is going to be a great gateway into that wonderful last epistle. Paul's last inspired words uh, in the Word of God, 2 Timothy. And the getting into Titus is, is that 
gateway, if you will, uh, from First to Second Timothy that I think will lay the groundwork for authentic Christianity. You know, authentic Christianity. If you ever think about, you know, your parents, I know I have. Uh, my dad was a very, you know, he was a man's man, and he, um, he just didn't, he couldn't grasp the fact that he needed a savior. And he was very proud most of his life. Thank God he did come to the Savior. But yet all these assemblies and these people that are that are that are just making havoc of the Word of God, that, that act unbecomingly, that have no self control, that say the one thing and they do something else. Um, what does that do to somebody in your family or something that looks at that? You know, people want authenticity. People want the truth. People want the real deal. And today as we end uh, our time together, brethren, I just want to encourage you from the bottom of my heart to remain steadfast. To go against the tide of this world. To build your congregation, your church, God's way. Let Him build the church. Let Him guide and direct. Not greediness, not sort of gain, not popularity. Let me tell you, brother, being a Christian, first and foremost, is not popular in this world. You look at Philippians 1.21, and where it says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That right there, to live is Christ, is contradictory to this world. We live in a world that crucified Christ and hasn't changed. It's gotten worse. We live in a world that hates Christ. And yet, the Bible says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Our hope is in heaven. Philippians 3.20, remember our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This world spends billions a year slowing down the aging process, not wanting to die, staying here as long as possible, and yet we are admonished for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. So in that and many other statements, brethren, right, right there, you being a Christian and a committed Christian already sets you out as different from the world. Let's not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. I want to encourage you to stand with me, being steadfast for the gospel, being faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ, and uplifting his word to the glory of God the Father. I love you all. I thank you again for spending time with me. I look forward to our second segment on this wonderful book of Titus in our series of true pastoring. And until then, God bless you, brethren.
Welcome back, brethren. Today, we have the sixth installment of True Pastoring. We'll be in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And as we've been going along, uh, we've been looking at the role of a pastor from a biblical standpoint of view. Um, A lot of people have their ideas of what a pastor should or shouldn't be, but the whole reasoning for this True Pastoring series is to see what the Lord desires what being a shepherd or an under-shepherd under the great shepherd is all about. I'm excited about this sixth chapter, brethren. We will be looking at uh, so many things, uh, not only keeping the doctrine pure, fighting the good fight, talking about uh, riches. What are riches indeed? Money, how to spend money, or I should say how to keep from money mastering your life, how the good shepherd needs to understand uh his sheep, and he does. He knows us very, very well. And I look forward to this segment um, as we proceed, brethren.